Welcome to Roman's Road, the podcast of me, Eddie Roman. This is where we talk about evangelism and apologetics and all kinds of Christian stuff. We are here today with Bill McKeever from Mormonism Research Ministry. Now, this is really interesting to me because years ago, many years ago, I was looking into resources having to do with Mormonism, how to witness to Mormons and apologetics and that kind of thing. And I got to know who Bill was just from reading articles or books. I don't exactly remember exactly what it was, but I just remember his name being associated with Mormonism. Fast forward a whole bunch of years, I'm at church one day, and a friend of mine says, hey, do you know who Bill McKeever is? And I say, yeah, I know who he is. And, and my friend says, that's him right over there. And I said, what? And it turns out that Bill is related to someone at my church. Bill is one of the, in my opinion, main guys who is reaching out to Mormons today, equipping Christians in how to talk about the Bible, talk about the things of God, and most importantly, how to evangelize Mormons. So, Bill, just so glad to have you on the show today. Thanks for coming. Hey, it's my pleasure, Eddie. Good to be here. Yeah. First off, just wanted to ask you kind of a basic get-to-know-you kind of question. Why and how did you get involved with outreach to Mormons? <laughs> That's a question I get asked a lot, and okay. it's odd because I have no Latter-day Saint background. You were never a Mormon. I never was a Mormon. Okay. I don't even recall having any family members that are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm. But I did go to school with a lot of Mormons okay. in Southern California, and uh, they were good friends of mine. They never tried to convert me, which is probably a good thing, huh. because I certainly wasn't ready to respond to some of the things they could have brought up to me at that time. I right. was not a believer during my high school years. I didn't become a Christian until after high school. Um, but the friends that I had in school, naturally after school you tend to lose contact with a lot yeah. of them, but God brought a lot of lo more Latter-day Saints to me after my high school years in a working situation. Okay. And it was really those working situations that I started finding myself being intrigued by the teachings of the LDS Church. I started talking to some of the friends that I had gained through work and work relations, right. and I recall in one particular case, now you have to understand, at this time, now I am a Christian. I've, I've become a believer, and now my relationship is a little bit different. Uh, right. Rather than just knowing them as secular friends, now I'm seeing them as uh, people who claim to be Christian, yeah. who claim to uh, have beliefs similar to those of us in the Christian church. But as I'm talking to my friends and I'm asking them some more pointed questions, mm -hmm. having them define their terms, for instance, it right. becomes readily apparent that a lot of the things that they say they believe, though they may use the same terminology that we have, the way they define those terms are very, very different. And as you start asking them these questions, you start to see that what they are saying is Christian is not really what the New Testament says is Christian. Boy, that is so true. And that, that's one of the issues I, I'd like to get to in this conversation. But yeah, it's very common for a Christian to be talking to a Mormon and the Mormon is just agreeing with everything they're saying right down the line. And it's, it's, it's you know, I've, always, I've often wondered about that after reading a lot of Mormon literature and seeing that their teachings are extremely different. But yeah, that's a very common thing that, that Christians run into, you know? When you, when you first start talking to a Mormon, 
a lot of the times they'll say, well, well we're Christians too. Right. You know, um, you don't really think about the fact that even though they say they're Christians, their mission is to convert Christians. So that's kind of an interesting thing. But yeah, so okay, so you, so you, you uh, got to know a lot of Mormons at, at work. Let me ask you this. At the time when you first started talking to your Mormon friends at work, you were a Christian. Were you already involved in evangelism at this point? Or would you say that talking to the Mormons were, were maybe one of the things that God used to get you caring about evangelism? Well, that's a great question. Um, because I was a, a pretty new believer okay. when I started coming in contact with a lot of these people through work relations. And so there was certainly a lot about the Bible that I was not real familiar with. Yeah. I knew a lot of the basics, certainly, but when you're talking with Latter-day Saints, sometimes they move beyond those basics. Mm. Um, and so when I'm discussing these issues with them, I noticed that I didn't have a lot of answers, but I would say to them something like, well, you know, I really don't have an answer for that, but give me a chance, let me go look some things up and let's get back and we'll talk about that. Man, that's just a great thing to say. With, you don't have to give an answer at yeah. the time. And I often try to give a lot of grace to Latter-day Saints as well. I don't expect them to be omniscient about what they believe. Right. And I'll often tell them that when I ask a question. They'll stop and they'll pause. And I say, you know, I'm, I'm not expecting you to know everything about what you believe, mm. uh, but I would certainly be interested in knowing what you think about this. And, you know, go check it out and come back and let's talk about it. Man, that is, that is just a great way to go about discussing apologetics or evangelism with anyone in any religion. We're, sure. so, we're so used to, you know, wanting to win an argument, wanting to prove our point, but what you're describing, just you're, you're basically showing a lot of grace to the person you're talking to. And I, I love that. That's, that's, a, that's a great thing to do, definitely. All right, so you know, one of the things that happens all the time when you're talking to Mormons is they, they agree with you on so many of the main issues. They will say, Jesus is God. They will say, Jesus is our Savior. They'll even say the Bible is the Word of God. You know, last night, um, a group of friends and I were out evangelizing over at the Mission Inn in Riverside, and a friend of mine comes across a group of, it was about eight young people. They're all dressed very nice, very clean cut. And, and it's funny, my friend, at some point he says, you know what, you guys are just very clean cut and well, to, you know, seem like nice kids. Do you go to church somewhere? And they said, well, actually, yeah, we're, we're part of the Jesus Christ Church of Latter-day Saints. And my friend tried to get into a conversation about Mormonism. And they said, no, you know what, we're just here to see the Christmas lights. Um, really not wanting to get into this discussion, but we love what you're doing. Keep doing it, you know, and just God bless you. And, you know, that's just so weird because my friend is preaching a totally different gospel than what they're preaching. But, they're, you know, and, and you'll hear, I've heard that so many times, you know, love what you're doing. And, and so they, they present themselves as your Christian brothers, maybe just a different denomination. But the more you read their teachings, you know, as we just talked about, you see that they're, they're totally different. They're not the same. So here's my question. For the average Mormon, do they really believe that they're just another brand of Christianity, maybe another denomination, another, another kind of Christian church? Do they really believe that? Or is that kind of a tactic that they learn from their church and, and they're actually being deceptive in order to gain a hearing. You know, I've often wondered about that. You've talked to so many Mormons. What, what, what's your take on that? 
Well, officially, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints claims that it alone represents true Christianity. Okay. Now, they will often talk about Christendom or Christian denominations, but usually it's prefaced with the word apostate. Okay. <laughs> so, in other words, what they're teaching their people and what their people should be believing, because this does come down from the top and it is a part of their scripture. Yeah. Uh, part of their scripture is a, a book called The Doctrine and Covenants. And in section one of the Doctrine and Covenants, it says very clearly that God is only pleased with the church that Joseph Smith, the founder of the movement, started in 1830. Mm -hmm. So he's not pleased with the other ones. So it goes back to that idea that, well, well, we're Christians also. Well, they would claim that they are the only true Christians. We can certainly call ourselves Christians, but we don't have enough information. We don't have all the proper teachings, all the, the proper covenants that we must keep in order to get the best that the Mormon God has for the Mormon people. Because mm. you have to understand that in Mormonism, it, just, it is not just a, an idea of heaven and hell. There's actually three degrees of glory that you can potentially end up in depending on what you believe and what you've done during this lifetime because Mormons believe that this is all of humankind's mortal probation. This is our time during this mortality to prove ourselves worthy in order to get back into Heavenly Father's presence and ultimately be rewarded with our own world where we will be gods over that world and that we will procreate on that world just as God the Father is procreating and filling this world. They believe we are all the literal offspring of God, that we lived in a pre-existence as God's spirit children waiting to take on human form here on earth because we could only advance so far in that pre-existence state. We had to come into mortality with a body, go through a time of testing, and come out shining, you might say. And if we do everything we're supposed to do, then we can ultimately have a similar position to what God right now has as God of this own world, we'll have our own world. You see, the God of Mormonism, this is where, when you mention how Mormons will say, well, Jesus is God. Yeah. Certainly they use that phrase. And they will say, yes, he is God, but he's also, if you want to get technical, he is a God just as God the Father is a God. They do not believe in one God. And just how I can become a God. Correct. Okay. Every, every Mormon would look at themselves, the Mormon males would look at themselves as gods in embryo. They have the potential to become a God, just like God the Father became a God. Because Joseph Smith taught that, he actually said this, he says, we have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. And then he proceeds to give this teaching, which certainly is not found anywhere in Christianity, well, I was just gonna that say, God was once a man. I was just going to say, for all the Christians listening to, their, to this right now, first of all, if they've never heard this before, they might be thinking, what kind of a science fiction movie script is it? It's so different. Another thing, and, and this is something I'll, I'll say to Mormons, and, and this is something I'll say to people in, in, in any different kind of cult, I'll say, you know, if you were to read the Bible from the beginning to end, you would never come to the, the conclusions of the things that your church is teaching. You would never come to any of that stuff 
and and so we'll we'll get we'll get to that in a little bit. But man, this is just so different. So you, so you're mm -hmm. saying that, that they they see themselves the Mormon men see themselves as God and embryo. Like our time on Earth here is some kind of transition period before the life we were in before existence, and now this is the testing point, and now we're we're going on potentially if we're good enough to someday become a God ourselves. Right. Okay. If you're not good enough to become a God, and not good enough to get into what they call the celestial kingdom, this mm -hmm. is also known as exaltation, this is where Godhood is given, you will ultimately end up in a lower level, either the terrestrial kingdom or the telestial kingdom. This is in the afterlife. This is in the afterlife. Yeah, and this is Mormonism. after judgment. You're going to be assigned a certain level based on what you believed and what you did in this life. Okay. So this is the time for men to prepare to meet God. That's exactly what the Book of Mormon teaches them in Alma 34 in the Book of Mormon. And the reason I like to bring up Alma 34 is because you get a lot of Mormons when you start asking them, well, if this is the time of mortality, this is when you're being tested, are you going to pass the test after you die? Are you doing everything that you are supposed to do? And it's funny, most Mormons I talk to don't have that kind of assurance. They don't know if they're going to pass the test. They don't even know if all their sins are forgiven. And that is a soft spot that we as Christians huh. need to exploit because they don't know where they're going after they die. And I, I've often kidded with many Latter-day Saints. They say, well, you know, if you don't know where you're going, there's a good chance you're probably lost. Maybe we need to talk about some of <laughs> these issues and find out why you don't know where you're going and how you can find out where you should be going. So often when talking about people in different um, you know, false religions, we call them cults. They don't like that name. No, but, they but, don't. You know, I, I mean, yeah. you know, and, and I, I'm sure there's different ways we can describe it or we don't, there's nothing that says we have to use that word at all when talking to people. But one of the things I notice in looking at all these different groups is there's, there's similarities. And one of the similarities is, like you just said, they don't have assurance of their salvation. This can be a soft spot or a worrying point to them and the reason why, just like with any other false group, is they're depending on their own works, how good they can be in order to get to heaven or get exalted or get whatever it is that their, their view of the best thing you could get in the afterlife is. And that's always going to be a problem. Anytime we're dependent on ourselves to pass God's test in some way, we're going to fail because none right. of us are perfect. Okay, well, that's, that's definitely a, a good thing to know. So... I definitely love talking to people in, in different religions, always with the goal of telling them the gospel. And, and the people who listen to this podcast, hopefully that's the reason they're listening as well. So in, in talking to Mormons, what are, um, let's say, three things, three main things I need to communicate to a Mormon when explaining the gospel? You know, within their context, from their point of view, what do they need to know and what main beliefs that they have need to be untangled um, in order to explain the gospel to them? Well, the one area that I like to focus on, and I've kind of briefly mentioned it before, is the forgiveness issue. Okay. And so if this is a problem area that a Mormon really needs to correct, 
then we should, I think, focus on what the Bible has to say about some various issues that I would probably bring up with just about anybody mm -hmm. who does not know the Lord as their Savior. Okay. We had mentioned earlier how they will say that Jesus is our Savior. Yeah. But He can only be their Savior if their sins are forgiven. So what, does they mean, <laughs> what do they mean by that when they say well, Jesus is my Savior? You might say He is the Savior. That's a title. That's a title, but oh. not necessarily something that he's done for them personally. Now, they may refer to Jesus as the Savior, and I've had many Latter-day Saints do that. Um, they'll say, well, Jesus is the Savior. And if they say the Savior, I like to focus on that. I say, I notice you didn't say he's your Savior. Hmm. Um, is there a reason why you said it that way? Maybe it was, you know, you just didn't think about it. But... Normally, when I say as a Christian that Jesus is my Savior, I mean that He is going to take care of everything that I possibly need in order to be saved. Yeah, it's in personal. other words, my sins are forgiven because that is one thing standing in the way of spending my eternity with God is my sin. Right. It's the same with the Latter-day Saint. You cannot be exalted as a Latter-day Saint if you have sin. That sin needs to be taken care of, even in Mormonism. The problem, of course, is how does that get done? Right. And therein lies a huge difference. Now, I like to focus in on, on words that we would probably use among Christians, but I like to define them with Latter-day Saints. And yeah. that is, well, how are you justified? How are you made right with God? How do you get your sins forgiven? What is sanctification according to your teaching? And what do the role, what do works, how do the works play a role in our life? Because they have a lot of stereotypes regarding us yes, as Bible-believing uh, Christians. Definitely. When we emphasize the fact that we are justified by our faith, some Latter-day Saints don't really understand what that means. So I try to explain to them, well, I believe I'm justified by my faith, but the question is, what does my faith entail? Does it really mean that I merely have to believe Jesus existed? Do I have to believe he had a title of Savior? Or do I, should I be believing that Jesus actually did something for me mm. personally? Because that's how he becomes my Savior. Yeah. And I like to talk about those things because, well, let me give you a quotation here. Okay. Because Mormons do have a doctrine of justification, but I want you to listen very carefully to how it is defined. I'm citing from a book that was written in 1966, well, originally 1958. It was revised in 66. It's titled Mormon Doctrine. It was written by a Mormon apostle by the name of Bruce R. McConkie. Now, this quotation is not just in that book. It's also found in a manual that's published by the church leadership it's called the Doctrines of the Gospel Student Manual, Religion 231 and 232. Now, the reason why I like to quote manuals is because a manual published by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the people are told that that manual has been vetted, they use the word correlated, by the leadership of the church. In other yeah. words, this has the approval of the leadership. They cannot use the argument well, that was just Bruce McConkie's opinion. When it comes out in a manual, it has a higher status than that. It's considered official doctrine so of the so, church. So they'll use kind of the similar that the Roman Catholics will use when the Pope says something 
that's off, they might say, well, he wasn't speaking. It was an ex-cathedra. Ex right, it's yeah. Just, okay, that's, right. Really, that's really interesting. So it's good to know. If you can cite it from a manual, and this is why lots of times, if you go to our website, we'll have references that people can use, and we often like to cite the reference if it's found in a manual, because that gives it a okay. little special oomph, you might say. And, and just since you mentioned it, what is your website? It's, it's really easy. It's mrm.org. Stands for Mormonism Research Ministry. mrm.org. All right, I could even remember, remember that one. All right, so. Well, so. well let me give you this quote, because yep. listen carefully to what he says, and you're probably going to notice what he's describing doesn't really sound like the word justification that we would use. Okay. or the definition for that word. He says this, What then is the law of justification? It is simply this, All covenants, contracts, bonds, obligations, oaths, vows, performances, connections, associations, or expectations in which men must abide to be saved and exalted must be entered into and performed in righteousness so that the Holy Spirit can justify the candidate for salvation in what has been done. That's now, done crazy. by whom? Exactly. Well, done by the individual or that, done by the member of the LDS church. That is the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. Well, what is, I see McConkie describing sounds more to us what we would call sanctification. Right. These are things that we as believers want to do out of appreciation for what Christ has done for us. Yeah. I, I love the, the quote from Spurgeon, and I'll, I'll paraphrase it, when he says, look, if your sins are forgiven, if you've already taken care of that sin issue and your sins are forgiven, go out and do all the works you want to do. Right. But we also realize that those works aren't going to make us any more justified than what our faith in what Christ did for us has already accomplished. Right. And so sometimes I think it's important when we're talking with Latter-day Saints about being justified by faith, we have to keep in mind that they have a stereotype of us. And the, I've heard this stereotype, I, I wish I had a nickel for every time I've heard this kind <laughs> of a stereotype. Oh, you guys, you gracers, you believe all you gotta do is believe, and then you can go out and kill people and do all sorts of bad things and everything is okay. Now, I don't really know of any Christians that live by that kind of rule. You know, uh, you would hope that they're going to be convicted of any sin that they're involved in. You know, in. every time I've talked to a Mormon who's either a, a missionary or a former missionary or a Mormon who actually knows their doctrine, every time they have brought that up. Mm -hmm. They will say something along the lines of, so you just believe that you can just you know, pray and ask God to forgive you, and then you go to heaven no matter what, and then you could just live however you want. And it, it's, it, are they taught that from, from I mean, because it's so, like every time you talk to someone, that's, it seems, at least in my experience, that comes up. Well, you have to understand that, yes, they really have been taught that mm. to a certain degree. Let me give you a statement from the 10th president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. His name was Joseph Fielding Smith. And he was the father-in-law of Bruce McConkie. Most people don't know that. But listen to what he says. He says, One of the most pernicious doctrines ever advocated by man is the doctrine of justification by faith alone, wow. which has entered into the hearts of millions since the days of the so-called Reformation. 
He reasoned, as often Latter-day Saint leaders reason, that if you believe you're saved merely by your faith, that that gives you a license to go out and do whatever you want. Um, I don't think it does, and, and I think the Apostle Paul, and this shows how faith can be dangerous, mm -hmm. you know, it, can, it can be misused, and often is misused. And I would think all of us as Christians would probably admit we do tend to misuse grace. Sure. Uh, but there's the danger. But what did Paul say in Romans? Okay, because he anticipates that very response. Right. If you say you're saved by faith, it's by grace, then you're going to say, well, what about this? Well, he anticipated that. And why does he say then, no, that's not the way it is. God forbid, you know. Uh, that kind of a thought should be abhorred. If you are a true believer, cleansed from the inside out, you're going to be convicted of those things. Right. And though we all sin and come short of the glory of God, I like to remind Latter-day Saints, they also sin and come short of the glory of God. Yes. Now, here's the problem. If they're supposed to be doing everything, what I mean by everything is, is let me explain this. In Mormonism, it also teaches in section one of the Doctrine and Covenants, that you need to repent, you need to keep the commandments, and then you are forgiven. You repent, you keep the commandments, then you're forgiven. Again, here okay. comes a time when we need to have de uh, terms defined. What is repentance in Mormonism? Repentance in Mormonism is not merely a confession of your sin. It's not only just a renunciation of that sin, it also means you will never commit that sin again. What? Yes. Wow. So in essence, in Mormonism, you can only truly repent of a sin one time. So if, so if I lie and I repent of that, I, I never can lie again. You can never lie again. Wow. If you have a bad thought about something, you can never have that bad thought again. In fact, the Doctrine and Covenants also teaches in section 82 that if you commit that sin again, your former sins return. Now, how in the world well, okay, can wait, I... Wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> okay. okay, so let me get this straight. So let's, let's say I'm a Mormon and I, I lie and I steal and I cheat and I you know, do all kinds of sin and then I repent of my lying and so I, have, I now have a clean slate according to Mormonism. If I lie again, now my stealing and cheating and every other thing I've ever done bad, that's all, that's it's back being there, held against you. It's there again. Yeah, Man. it's being held against you. How, how can a Latter-day Saint possibly have any assurance of their forgiveness, any assurance of their salvation well, it would with seem like hanging over them? It would seem like the only way they could is if they're so self-deceived into thinking that they never sin, and they, they don't sin. And, and you know, because I've, I've definitely met some people, not just in LDS, but in many different religions, who are basically so proud that they have deceived themselves into thinking they don't sin. They don't, they don't ever sin. But man, to have that as an actual church teaching, that if you, if you repent and then you fall back into that sin again, that everything now is back, you're back to square one. Basically. Well, it, it gets even worse than that because you just mentioned that you've talk to people who are so proud they think they've done everything. Yeah. Uh, the Book of Mormon in Alma 5 
actually says that unless you're stripped of all pride, you're not even prepared to die. <laughs> wow. So either way, <laughs> uh, you're... you're... I, I know. And, and I brought Alma 5 up to many Latter-day Saints when I'm talking with them, and you can tell they're getting pretty cocky here. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll bring that up. Say, so I'm just curious, have you accomplished this in your life? And wow. I'll read it from the Book of Mormon. I, I carry their, their materials. Yeah. And so... Uh, when they read that, you ought to see how quiet it gets. Right. Or they, even if we'll have a, a Latter-day Saint male, for instance, will be telling us, well, I keep all the commandments. We'll just turn to their spouse standing next to them and say, <laughs> well, what do you think about this? Wow. Or if he does think that he keeps all the commandments, there's a great question that you can ask them to really bring this to the surface. Because I, I've received those kind of answers oftentimes. Yeah. I'll say, okay, so you're keeping all the commandments. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. Of course, I don't believe it, but right. I'm glad to hear it. But let me ask you this. If you're keeping all the commandments, then that would assume then that you no longer have any need to repent then, do you? And there's, there'll be this awkward pause. And I remember one time I had a person say, well, no, I repent all the time. I said, well, why? Of what? If you're keeping all the commandments, why would you need to repent? We huh. repent because we violate God's revealed law. Right. And that's why we feel the need to repent. But you shouldn't have any need to repent if, in fact, you're keeping all the commandments. And yet, when you ask them, okay, one of the requirements, according to DNC 1, is that you have to keep the commandments. How many commandments are you supposed to keep? They'll tell you this, Eddie. They'll say all of them. And all you have to do is respond with this question. How are you doing at that? <laughs> That's all you have to ask. Yeah. And they will admit they're trying their best, and I always want to commend them. I think that's very sure. noble that you're trying your best, but you just told me that the requirement is, is that you have to keep all of them, and you said you're not. I'll give you an example. I had some sister missionaries come to my door in Utah. Apparently, they, they were trying to get me to go to a, a musical that was being at one of the local chapels. Yeah. And uh, I think she may have assumed that I was a Christian because I, I purposely put a cross on the wall behind where my front door opened. So if they look over my shoulder, they can see that. They don't, they don't like the cross as a symbol, They right? don't, but they know that that's our symbol. Okay. They, they recognize that. And so when she said that uh, they were having a, a musical, I probably didn't look all that interested. <laughs> And then, and then she said, well, it was all, it's all about Jesus. And I went, oh, really? I says, well, okay. It's like, now you've got my attention. Well, tell me about your Jesus. And she was one of those. She says, well, Jesus is, and I can't remember specifically after all these years whether she says, well, Jesus is the Savior or our Savior. Mm -hmm. But I asked her, well, how does Jesus become your Savior? How, how, in your belief system, how does that happen? And well, she gave me the textbook answer. Well, we have to repent of our sins. Mm -hmm. So I asked her, I says, well, what is repentance according to what you believe? She said, well, it was textbook. Confess your sins and forsake them. And that's what it says in DNC 58. It says you're supposed to confess and forsake. And I says, well, now when you say forsake, uh, you never repeat them again? She says, no, you're not supposed to repeat them again. I says, well, how are you doing at that? She says, well, I'm trying, you know. And I says, well, that's great, okay. But don't you also have to keep commandments? And she says, oh, yeah, we have to keep commandments. And I says, well, how many commandments must you keep? She says, well, we're supposed to keep all of them. I says, and how are you doing that? And she started again to say, well, I'm trying. Mm -hmm. Well, I use this illustration. If you look out my front door, my front door faces the Wasatch Mountains. Okay. okay it's a beautiful mountain range, and especially you know with the snow on it and everything. 
I asked her, as I've asked many Latter-day Saints, if I was to say that I tried to climb a mountain, would you think I did? And she <laughs> said, no. And I says, because if you climb the mountain, you don't say you try, you say you did it. Right. When you say to me that you're trying to repent or you're trying to keep the commandments, I can only assume you haven't you done this. Do it, yeah. You're failing at it. Now, she's given me this line by line requirement and she's giving me those answers. I'm not right. talking for her and I'm not putting words in her mouth. I'm merely asking her the questions. I said, well, if this is what you need to do in order for Jesus to be your savior and you admit you're not doing that, would you not admit also that Jesus is not your savior right now? Wow. Well, asking the question that way certainly caused her to do a, some quick self-reflection. Yeah. And then she responded, well, yeah, but Heavenly Father loves us. We're his children. I said, okay, but isn't it, is it also not true, according to the Doctrine and Covenants, section one, this is great, section one, verse 30, 31, and 32, if there's any verses you want to memorize, those are the verses. Okay. But in section one, it also says that the, the God of Mormonism cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. Wow. And I cited that to her, and I says, are you assuming he's going to look at your sin with allowance because it says here that he's not supposed to do that. Well, she saw that she had a problem there. Mm -hmm. And the only way that that problem can be solved is if her justification is based on something other than her performance. Yeah. And that's where I'm trying to go. I'm trying to get them to see what the gospel really is because the way they describe the gospel, it's not good news. Right. It's it can't be news. the gospel if it's not good news. And certainly their gospel is horrible news because nobody meets all those requirements that are necessary to get the best the Mormon God has for them. Their gospel is basically, you have to be perfect. And, and, perfect. and if you brought that up, they would argue against it. But here's what's really strange about that, Eddie. I have a clip of me talking to a group of young people on the streets of Manti during the Mormon miracle pageant. Mm -hmm. And it was really fascinating because I see this happen so often and they, they were also a textbook case of, of, <laughs> of this. But I was asking them about these very questions. I said, well, you know, according to the Book of Mormon, it, it, it says that you have to deny yourself of all ungodliness. Then is his grace sufficient for you. That's what it says in Moroni 10.32 in the Book of Mormon. The response from one of these young people was, well, nobody's perfect. And I says, why did you bring up that word? I never said perfect. Huh. How did you draw that conclusion? Well, they know what that means. Yeah, they, yeah, if have you have perfect. denied yourself of all ungodliness, if you are keeping all the commandments, that is similar in the minds of Latter-day Saints as being perfect. Right. You don't even have to use the word perfection when you're talking with a Latter-day Saint. Just ask them if they're doing what the Book of Mormon says, if they're doing what the Doctrine and Covenants says. Because the Doctrine and Covenants, for instance, says in, uh, I think it's uh, D&C 2515, that you must keep the commandments continually. Who does that? Right. Nobody does that. So I'm just using their own material. And when I bring this up, it's, again, I get that response, but nobody's perfect. I never said that word. Right. How did you draw that conclusion? Because they know that that's what those verses are implying. 
that's out of their own scripture. They can't deny this. They can't say that's someone's opinion. That's in their written scripture. Yeah. I mean, realistically, if someone could do what the Mormon church is telling their people they have to do, there'd be no need for a savior. If, exactly. If, if they are being perfect, you know, then, exactly. then why would you even need a, a savior? They're, they're attempting to save themselves. Do they even call themselves Mormons anymore? I, I just heard something about they're, they're not allowed to use that term or, or some... In August of 2018, okay. the 17th president of the church, Russell M. Nelson, came up with this dictum saying that we will no longer refer to ourselves as Mormons. We're not to use the word Mormonism. And when we refer to the church, it should no longer be referred to as the Mormon church. You will use the proper title, which is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So this is, this is their, one of their apostles? or a, a This is their leader, the current leader. Wow. Russell M. Nelson became the 17th president after the death of Thomas Monson in January of 2018. And Russell M. Nelson, he's in his 90s, okay? Okay. He's uh, pretty healthy for a guy in his 90s, yeah. I have to admit. But he no doubt has been chomping at the bit, you know, waiting to become the president of the church, which in Mormonism, it means that you have to outlive all of your colleagues. Okay. And he's done it, being in his 90s. And so now he's making a lot of these changes that he's hinted to in years past, huh. but never had the power or authority to implement unless everyone else was in agreement with him. This idea of not being called a Mormon is, uh, well, I should say, it was not a very popular idea years ago, especially when Gordon B. Hinckley was the president. Um, Hinckley was president before Monson. Monson precedes uh, Russell M. Nelson. Okay. Because the Latter-day Saints have often been known as Mormons. Uh, ever since pretty much the beginning of the movement they got that title. It's from the book, the Book of Mormon. Right. Mormon is a character <laughs> in the book, and so, that's where the book title comes from. So where do, you, where, does this, where do you think this is coming from, don't call us Mormons anymore? I, I think this is something that uh, Russell M. Nelson has always been bothered by. It goes back to a sermon he gave back in the 1990s okay. where he talked about this. And then right after that, Gordon B. Hinckley basically got up and kind of spanked him, you might say, uh -huh. in another message where he talked about, look, we're not going to convince people not to call us Mormon. And he kind of joked about it and said, we've been called worse, you know. <laughs> but it was a nickname that was given to them. And Mormons often made excuses for it being uh, that, that it was actually a good term, that Gordon B. Hinckley used to say that Mormon means more good. I don't know where he got huh. that, but that's what he would tell people. And so being called a Mormon was never really, certainly not by me, well, I've never, I was never thought I've never, of it as, as a derogatory term. Yeah, I've never thought of it as anything negative. I just thought no. that's what they are. We're Christians. It's a nickname, just like uh, Christians. Oh, okay? I never realized you that know, either. We, we were called Christians. It says, of course, it began in the book of Acts what, in Antioch. They called us Christians. Okay, we we're followers of Christ. Well, Mormons will sometimes say, well, we don't like that title because it may cause people to think we worship Mormon. Now, I've never met anybody who thought that mm. by that title, yeah. but that's something that I've heard Mormons say. I think what Russell M. Nelson is trying to do is he's wanting to impress people into thinking, look, we are Christians. He doesn't often come right out and say we're the only true Christians, but he right. wants people to know they're Christians because 
if you, they can get away from that derogatory term of cult, that only helps their image. Yeah. They want to be known as Christians, even though officially they don't look at themselves as another Christian denomination, they see themselves as the only true Christians. Right. So I think by calling themselves Latter-day Saints, which can be very confusing because most people know what the term Mormon means and yeah. who they are, but Latter-day Saint, what is that? Right. You know, they all know the Mormon church, but what's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Yeah. They're not familiar with that term. Well, it's interesting because I know with myself, I knew what a Mormon was way before I knew what the Jesus Christ Church of Latter-day Saints. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's uh, man, it's interesting. Ugh, that was the worst transition I have ever done in a podcast, but there's a good reason for it. This interview went really long, so I decided to just chop it in half. Listen to part two next week where Bill gets into talking to Mormons in the form of witnessing. What are some verses you want to bring up? What are some things that you can say to them and hopefully lead them to Christ? Because that's the goal. If you'd like to direct more people to listen to this podcast and learn how to evangelize, you can do so by getting some Romans Road merch. T-shirts, hoodies, and here's how it works. Someone walks up to you and they say, that's a cool shirt, and you say, you should listen to the podcast, and then they do, and they learn how to witness, and voila. You can find the link in the show notes to the merch, and if you'd like to support Bill McKeever and his work on Mormonism, I highly suggest you pay attention to the following spot. Looking for strategies that will help you engage in meaningful conversations with members of the Mormon Church? Well, if so, take a look at Sharing the Good News with Mormons, a new book produced by Harvest House Publishers and edited by Mormonism Research Ministries' Eric Johnson and Sean McDowell. Sharing the Good News with Mormons includes 24 helpful essays from two dozen Christian apologists, scholars, and pastors. Pick up your copy at the Utah Lighthouse Bookstore or order directly from mrm.org. Hopefully this episode has encouraged you. If you want to help this podcast spread far and wide, you can give us a good review on iTunes and just share it with your friends and family. And I'll see you next time when we take another trip down the Romans Road. Ray Comfort here. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, please take a moment to do so now. On your phone's podcast app, search for Romans Road, and when you find it, hit subscribe. It's free, and by doing so, you'll get all episodes past, present, and future. Then when you're finished, head over to livingwaters.com for a huge collection of evangelism videos, articles, tracks, and resources to help you share the gospel with those around you. That's livingwaters.com. Thanks for listening to Romans Road. If you want to learn how to evangelize, check out my book, Search and Rescue, available at eddyroman.com. On my website, you'll also find videos and other things to encourage you to preach the gospel to your friends and family. That's eddyroman.com. See you next time. Yeah.